0: Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from James, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. In the few Bibles, uh, in the back of the pew in front of you, that's page 1072. Again, it's James, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Good morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, we welcome you. It is good to have you with us. It is good to be together to worship God. As we think about this year throughout the year, we'll think about the theme of the joy of the Lord. And I want to remind you throughout the year, because it's a challenge also to myself, is to think about, is really the joy of the Lord your strength? You remember, that's what Ezra told the people as Nehemiah went back to help build back the city and Ezra went back to help build back the religious statue. And and so as they were putting together their lives spiritually, that was the very thing he said would be their strength. Can you say that? Remember, we've talked about this a few weeks ago. If someone asked you, what is your strength? How many of us would name an ability or a talent that God has given us? How many of us would name maybe some opportunities? Well, you know, God's blessed me with these opportunities, and I'd have to say that's my strength. How many of us would name many, many things before or even if it would ever come to our mind to say, you know what my greatest strength is? The joy of the Lord is my greatest strength. I look forward to studying this topic throughout the year from time to time so I can have a better understanding of really what is it when the Scripture speaks over and over and over of joy. And what is that joy of the Lord that should be such a tremendous strength in our life? Have you ever heard a parent say when maybe being challenged by a child, they'll say, oh, you're going to do it and you're going to be happy doing it. Do you realize we just read the words, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Is God trying to be like a parent that is a little bit arrogant? That kind of wants to gloat in authority by saying, Oh, not only can I make you do it, I'm so powerful, I can make you do it and like doing it. I don't think that is at all what God is saying here. But at the same time, as we read this from our fleshly human aspect, it takes a lot of faith to understand and believe the passage that we're studying today. Now, lest I forget to tell you, we're going to come back tonight and and we're going to address a question that you've asked. One of our teenagers asked it several months ago, and, and even recently in a Bible class it was asked, and it's a wonderful question to consider, and that is, if God doesn't tempt us as this same chapter in James teaches us, but yet he will test us, what's the difference in being tested and tempted? And so tonight, we'll continue studying along this same paragraph in James. But this morning, we consider these three verses especially as we think about the joy of the Lord and the joy of the Lord as we face temptations or we face trials. What does this mean for us? What is the challenge to this? The first thing that I hope you'll understand is that as we read in James 1 and verse 2, look at that verse again and notice the word count. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. The word count here, of course, is not meaning one, two, three, four, five. The word count here literally means by authority. One who has authority commands it. In other words, all of us have seen at the very end of a ball game, basketball game, a last-second shot put into the air, and then immediately both teams look to see if the officials, the referees, count it. You see, the teams don't look to each other. The coaches don't turn to each other and say, Hey, do you think that's going to count as two points? They don't have the authority. The players don't look to each other. They look to the officials, the ones that have the authority to make the call. And both teams are wondering, is it going to count? Of course, one team will hope that it doesn't count, and another team will hope that it does count. Last night I had the great fun of... After the the youth here did their service project, they they gathered in and they played four square. And you know, when you play four square, and if you don't know what it is, just ask the youth. It's a lot of fun. You can waste like two hours just like that playing four square. And so we're hitting the ball back and forth into one of the four squares, hopefully not your square. And you know, immediately, you don't have to play long before the ball hits a line. Well, the ball can't hit a line. Well, of course, there's no official judge there. So somebody has to decide, hey, is that going to count or not? You know, anything in life, you have to have that final call. Is it going to count? You know, it it just struck me as a tremendous point that when God is challenging our faith by this very teaching, and He's saying, I want you to count it all joy when you fall into various trials, think about that word count. He's saying, I'm telling you by the authority that I have. You should be able to do this. Friends, that's a great challenge. Can you take the trials that you have in life and by the authority of God count it a great joy when you find yourself in the midst of those trials? Look also at the word counted in all joy. Every aspect. Every aspect of joy. Joy is that calm gladness. It's not that surface emotional happiness. It's that deep inner joy and peace that we read about over and over in the scriptures. Joy and rejoicing. And I hope this calendar year as we study this theme that you'll be noticing. I find this everywhere I study now. I'm amazed at how frequent the topic of joy is. In a few minutes in the Bible class that I'll be in, we'll be studying the book of Ecclesiastes several times in the lesson preparing for this week, the book. Speaks of joy and the rejoicing of God's children. Friends, we can't get away from the topic that God intends for us to have a deep, inner, lasting, peaceful gladness, happiness, but it's not emotional. It's not that giddiness. It's not a burst of laughter. It's deep, it's real. Now, notice this. He says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. The idea of falling into It's just like when you see a toddler and they go to McDonald's and they dive into the little balls there and they are completely surrounded by the balls. That is literally what the image here of fall into. It's when we are totally surrounded by what? Various. Not just one. It may be any kind of what? Trial. Now there's something interesting about the word trial here. The word trial here points out to putting to proof. I know that sounds like a little bit of a strange wording, but I want you to really think about that for a moment. He says, count it all joy when you fall into various opportunities to be put to proof. Now tonight, we are going to talk about the difference in a trial, which would be adversity, and a temptation... Which would lead to sin. But for right now, I'd like for you to think about God giving us the opportunity to not be spoiled brats. I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up to be spoiled. I'm not bragging, it's just factual. You didn't grow up in my home being spoiled. I intend to raise children that aren't spoiled, not bragging. Just stating with full intentions. And one reason why I think that we as Christians have to feel so strong about that is because God has no intentions of His children being spoiled. The idea of taking every challenge and removing, oh, don't have to deal with it. Oh, I never want you to be disappointed. Oh, I'm going to always run in front of you in life. And if that teacher talks ugly to you, I'm going to go scold that teacher for you. And if that playmate, if they get on your nerves, I'll just help you find another playmate that doesn't get on your nerves. Oh, you want that toy? Let me buy that toy. We don't ever want our baby uncomfortable. And you will raise a child that's totally weak, totally spoiled. And absolutely cannot help themselves, much less other people. Now friends, if that's our idea of good parenting, we probably don't even know what faithful Christianity is all about. God insists, by His authority, count it all joy when your faith is put to proof. That's when you ought to be the happiness. I am so thankful that now I have the opportunity to make a stand for God. People in the workplace are mocking me. They're ridiculing me. I'm thankful that I can make a stand with God. People at school, they're not making it easy for me to live the Christian life. With joy, I'm thankful that I can put to proof my faith. I can fall into these various trials, this putting to proof. And I can stand with the Lord. Friends, before this day is over, if you and I study with an open heart and with an open mind and an honest heart, we're going to see that really it's good for you and I to go through disappointments. It's good for us to go through trials. It's good for us to climb steep mountains and to go through dark valleys of the shadow of death. Because all of those are opportunities to prove that we are the Lord's, to prove our faith. Now, as we think about this, I would like for you, if you have your Bible, to turn over to 1 Peter, the first chapter. We're not going to have time to develop in great detail this passage, but I want you to see, of course, we're studying this morning from James. I want you to see also Peter's writing about an almost exact parallel passage. Uh, And and we'll compare some of this along the way, but won't have time to develop it deeply. But look at 1 Peter, the first chapter. Let's begin reading at 6, 7, 8, and 9. 6 is a parallel to 2. 7 is a parallel to 3. 8 and 9 is a parallel to 4. And so let's read this, and we'll come back and mention it from time to time throughout this lesson. 1 Peter 1, 6, 7, 8, and 9. In this You greatly rejoice. What is God going to say greatly rejoice about through Peter? He's going to say greatly rejoice when you get everything your way. Greatly rejoice when you have no challenges in life. Greatly rejoice when all the blessings just pour upon you so much that you can't handle or stand them all. No, notice what he says. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved... By various trials. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. Though it is tested by fire may be found to praise, honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen you love. Though now you do not see him. Yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your souls now as we think about this look at this next slide as we compare verse 2 in James 1 and 1 Peter 1 and 6 notice again verse 2 my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials look at verse 6 in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while if need be you have been grieved by various trials you see the emotion is grief what do you feel on the surface? I feel grief. Why? Because it's a reaction to what? It's a reaction to a great loss. I've lost a job that's meant the world to me. I lost the idea that I thought I was going to get a promotion and I didn't get that promotion. I lost someone who was dear to me. I lost a pet that was dear to me. It could go on and on to what creates grief in our life. But the question is, is that grief in our life going to pull us away from God or are we going to say this situation in life, I'm putting myself to proof. And I'm going to prove that my faith in God will not waver. Count it all joy when we can do that. That's the greatest joy that can be experienced. We may have emotion of excitement or we may have the emotion of grief. But deep in our being, in our faith, has to be that commitment that's unwavering. Passing the test. Now, to describe this same point even further, look with me if you will. Well, let's mention this one thing before we leave this. I've mentioned to you a a few years ago what Bud Lambert oftentimes says. And there's many of us that have sat uh, by his side and he's helped us and we've heard him say these words. You remember what he says? It hurts to hurt. But it's not bad to hurt. It's amazing how spoiled we want ourselves to be by our carnal nature. Our carnal nature is don't make me uncomfortable. Don't hurt my feelings. Don't challenge me too much. And you know what? God would teach us that it's probably at the times of our discomfort that we grow the most. And so it is, if my idea in life is I'm going to run to only the locations of comfort, what I'll do is I'll find myself running from a proven faith. And I'll find myself running into unfaithfulness. Friends, since the beginning of the church, Christians have stood firm in their faith no matter what level of discomfort surrounding them and standing firm. Let's look to verse 3. We're back in James, the first chapter. Uh, We'll read verse 2, but then notice verse 3. My brethren, count it all joy. James 1, 2, and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, notice this formula that we see in verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The idea here of the very first word, knowing. There's something you can know. Now, I need to emphasize again. It may not be something we feel, but it's something we can know. Well, what can we know? By faith, we can know that the testing of your faith... Now, it's interesting here, the word testing, because it's going to go back to the very same theme that's been running through here. Usually, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of a test is I think back to school where literally a piece of paper was handed to you and you were given a grade. That's probably not the best way to think about what's being translated here. The idea of the testing of faith here is literally proving trustworthiness. And so he says, there's something I want you to know. You need to know this formula. What is it that we need to know? We need to know that we need, when our faith is tested, that it be found trustworthy. And that's the idea of testing faith here, trustworthy. It's the idea of, of a steward. If someone took and said, hey, I'd like for you to hold these possessions. I'd like for you to hold these documents. And I'm going to be gone for a month. And when I come back, can you have them in safe order? A good steward would keep those in safe order. And when the person returns, they would be there in safe order to return to them. God has given you and I life. God has given us opportunities. God has given us a church family. God has given you maybe a physical family. God has given you abilities. Everything. God has given you possessions. Everything that God has placed in your life. Your health. Your physical body. Your possessions. The, the spiritual opportunities. Everything. He's placed them in your life. And you and I have to decide if we're going to be good stewards. In other words, are we going to be stewards? trustworthy. Will the Lord come back to us and say, well done, thou good and faithful. In other words, he could have said there, well done, you trustworthy servant. In other words, you tested faithful in this. Now now notice the rest of this. He says, knowing that the testing, the trustworthiness of your faith produces many of us have worked in environments where we've seen something in the beginning stages and in that same building in which we work, we see that go through a process so that when it comes out the other end of that building, it is a product that's ready to sell. And we see what happens when all of the things that are done to produce this product. Well, notice what's being produced here. What's being produced in verse 3 is patience. Now, you're probably going to think, Ah, preacher, you're trying to put a spin on this just to fit the theme for the year. I promise you, I was shocked myself when I did a word study on patience. I wasn't expecting this one at all. You know what patience means? Cheerful endurance. Isn't it amazing the way when you study the scriptures, you cannot get away from joy of the Lord. We have this opportunity to be tested in our faith. God says, I've got to be honest with you, children. I'm not going to spoil you. When hardships come, I'm going to give you the strength to endure them. But I'm not going to remove them all. And so what you're going to have to do is decide if you're going to be trustworthy. Some people will leave me at that point and they won't be found faithful. Others will say, I'm staying with the Lord no matter what. And what's going to be produced, what's going to come out of the other side of this process is a cheerful endurance. Have you ever noticed that you never see a faithful Christian down and out long term? Now, I know all of us go through grief and all of us go through emotions that we must deal with as humans. But you don't see a faithful Christian bad-mouthing the Lord. You don't see a faithful Christian bad-mouthing Christianity. Why? That's not what it produces. It produces a cheerful endurance. Does that mean everybody's treated us fairly? No. That's some of the trials we go through. Does that mean everybody has, has encouraged us along the way? No. That's some of the trials we go through. What does it mean? It means God promises that if we'll stay with Him, the end will be that cheerful endurance. What a beautiful thought. Let's look at this from 1 Peter 1 and 7. Let's compare these two. You see there James 1 and 3 we just talked about. Now look at 1 Peter 1 and 7. The genuineness of your faith. You see, we're talking about that trustworthiness. And James, he said, the testing of your faith. It's the idea of the genuineness of your faith. Are you trustworthy? Are you genuine? God simply wants to know. Are you going to be the real deal? Are you just here as long as it's easy? Or God wants to know, are you in the Christian faith? Are you a part of the family of God and you're genuine in it? You're committed in it. And this is our challenge. And notice he says, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. You know, you take gold and it becomes more pure through the purification process of fire. And we take us being tested through the trials. And notice what the end is going to be here in 7. You remember the end we said over here was a, a cheerful Endurance. Notice what the end here is described in another way. To be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's a life that no matter what it's been through, they brought glory, honor, and praise to Jesus. I've worshiped with people where a part of the announcements almost every Sunday was what family member went to prison. Those family members that stayed committed when they lived in houses where drugs were being dealt. And they had to make decisions if they were going to protect their own children that were being arrested. They had to make decisions on a weekly basis of whether or not their life was going to bring glory and honor and praise to God. You know what? That may be easy to see in that illustration, but the truth is every one of us make decisions every week is whether or not we're going to face a trial and have cheerful endurance at the end. A life that brings glory and honor and praise to the Lord. I wish we had time to develop this next point. If some of you are taking notes, look at this next screen. On this next screen, you may want to note... As Burton Kaufman, he writes uh, just a beautiful description of the theme of suffering through 1 Peter. And he mentions several of these. And, and I'll, I want to read to you. You see several referred to here on the screen. I just want to read to you two or three verses here just scattered throughout Peter. 1 Peter the second chapter, 2 and 21. Uh, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow in his steps. So do you think Peter is saying... Oh, suffering's terrible. Don't do it. No, he's saying... If you're going to be a Christian, of course you're going to suffer. Look at 3 and 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake... You are blessed. Wait a minute. You can't talk about joy and trials in the same sentence. James did. He said, count it all joy. You can't talk about sufferings and blessings in the same sentence. Oh yeah, that's the theme of the book of Peter... Let's read one more. Beloved, do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. You know what Peter's saying? You're going to go through a fiery trial and then say, I'm a Christian, why is that happening? He says, you can't ask that. Christians know that they're going to be tried. They know that they're going to go through trials. And you know what the next phrase is? But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Friends... What powerful, powerful words of wisdom that if we do not see them from the Scriptures, we'll never know them any other way. I'd like to read to you, and this is on the screen in the italics. Notice Burton Kaufman's uh, conclusion here under this. Thus the sufferings of a Christian must not be viewed as any unscheduled disaster overtaking him without the will of God. But on the other hand is the very route by which the Lord Jesus wrought his wonderful redemption. The point is powerful that we must understand that the trying of our faith it ought to be great joy because it gives us an opportunity to put to proof our faith. We ought to know this formula We ought to know that when we test trustworthy, that it produces a cheerful endurance, and then we close by simply this comment. Look, if you will, in James, the first chapter. And uh, let's look at verse 4. We're going to skip a few slides there. Look at verse 4. The obvious conclusion. Notice this cheerful endurance fulfills your life. James 1 and 4. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing patience, this cheerful endurance has a perfect work. In other words, notice there's three things that he says will be the description of an individual that's down here at the very end. This has been produced in their life and this is the perfect work. Number one, he says they're going to be perfect people. Sometimes we are kind of a little uncomfortable. No, nobody's perfect. Yes, people are perfect. Colossians 1 and 28 says we find our perfection in Jesus Christ. Friends, if you're here this morning and you are not perfect, I encourage you to repent Place your life in Jesus Christ and get perfect. Because Christ offers that. It's our choice whether or not we want to be perfect. I'm not suggesting to you that there's anyone here that's never sinned. We've sinned. But we can be redeemed and we can have our perfection in Christ. And that's what he's talking about here. We go through these trials and we go through these trials in Christ. Complete, he says. In other words, when we find our joy in the Lord, we have everything we need. Notice this last phrase. Please let this sink in. Lacking nothing. We're going through a trial. People are mocking us. We're being tempted to... To cheat or to lie, to steal, to, to sacrifice morals, to sacrifice our spirituality. Whatever it is, you name a trial that's going on in your life. And the thought is, if I go ahead and sacrifice my faith, I can gain this. And do you hear what James is saying? James is saying, no, you're not gaining anything. You stay in the faith and you've gained it all. You leave the faith and now you are lacking. Because it boils down... Look at First Peter in this particular topic. In 1 Peter 1 and 8, he closes verse 8 by talking about that rejoicing with the joy inexpressible, full of glory. Notice the end. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In the original language Greek, there's no your. It's the saving of souls. What is the end of your faith? Now, let's not ask me and you that. Let's ask God. What is the end of our faith? In other words, are, are we faithful people? Yes, I really believe we are. Well, what should be the end of faithful people? The saving of souls. We are the Lord's church. What should be the end of the Lord's church? The saving of souls. Sometimes we get sidetracked and we think, well, the church is for building stronger families. Well, the church is for bursting uh, morals in a community. And, and all of those things. And you know that that's so much a part of Christianity. But you know what the end is? In other words, if we accomplished some of those things and we did not accomplish this, saving souls, we would have fought, failed. What's a successful youth group where souls are saved? What's a successful uh, seniors program where souls are saved? What's a successful leadership in the church? A leadership where souls are saved. What's a successful family, physically? A family where souls are saved. How does this tie in? He says, if we come to these trials in life, instead of testing trustworthy, we abandon the faith, now we're lacking the very thing that mattered the most. Our soul being saved was the end. this morning God challenges you and I the next time we find ourselves at the point of trials or temptations we need to remember to test trustworthy and in the midst of that trial count it joy count it joy That God gives us the strength and the way to overcome. And when we can pass through that and say, by the grace of God, I'm saved, we have everything to rejoice in and nothing to be disappointed. This morning, do you have joy? real joy or do you have just enough religion to make you miserable because you keep coming to that point of trials and you take the easy way out you give excuses for why you're going to sin this time you give excuses for why you ought to be the special one that's spoiled you give excuses for why God ought to not challenge you so much he's not fair Or do you believe with all of your heart our God is faithful? God has never let you and I down. The question that I need to ask myself this morning, am I ready to say to the best of my ability, God, I don't want to let you down either. I want to test genuinely. I find great joy in that. That's our challenge. If you haven't been baptized into Christ for the of sins, won't you accept that opportunity of faith this morning. It's a test. Naaman had to decide if he was going to dip in Jordan River seven times to be cleansed. We have to decide if we're going to obey God to be cleansed. If you've never been baptized into Christ, won't you do that this morning? Or maybe you have been baptized into Christ and you find yourself not genuine as you want to be and as you know God wants you to be. None of us are perfect on our own, but we can leave here forgiven, perfect in Christ. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.